This week's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, who are offering our listeners a free trial if you visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Probably Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. I almost, I almost missed my cue there. I'm sorry. I was too busy admiring how well you kicked it off there. We had a whole discussion about who's going to start, and you took the lead. I'm like, all right, pressure's off now. Andy's got this one. It's a pretty tough landing to stick. I get it. It's after eight years. It's um, <laughs> yeah. It's God. What's the line? <laughs> my name uh, is. We. Uh, let's just let's just jump straight into our guest. This is I've, it's, it's weird. This whole lockdown recording online time, where one by one we're picking up guests that we've spoken to for years about doing the show, and then never managed to pin down a time. And this this is someone I'm very happy to have on the show. It's Chris Garcia. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Good. good. There's no excuse for me not to be able to do this now that we're all locked down. So I'm glad. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? Thing, good isn't luck trying to think of a reason why you can't. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I tried so hard. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it and, is um, a This is our first, uh, I believe, birthday twin guest. Are we actually the same day or within a day or two of each other, Chris? Uh, May 13th. Oh, okay. We're not. Sorry. I guess it's Once just like I, May 17th. It's probably just that I'm aware of birthdays that happen my week among comics because people be like, yeah, we're going to this bar on Friday. It's everything gets sort of like mapped onto a Friday or Saturday. So, Oh yeah. And then yeah. everyone would be at El Chavo at different, different days of the week that week. Yeah. 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 Oh, so it's partly right, happiness right, for you. It was like, Hey, birthday twin. And it's partly birthday rivalry. Cause you're like, fuck you everyone for going to Chris's birthday party instead of mine. I know it sucks. <laughs> I've, I've definitely piggybacked and been like, well, there's already going to be people I know at El Chavo. If someone else, if people want to just come and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think Alice Wetterland has the same birthday the same week. I'm like, ah, let's just collab with uh, Jocelyn and Alice and just yeah. have a, a Oh, that's right. Jocelyn Hughes is the exact same day as me. Yeah. And Greg Barris. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of people in the same area, so. It, I wonder if that is because... I wonder if it's only because I'm a you know selection bias sort of that I'm aware of birthdays that happen around my time, or if it's that um, you know people who live in cold climates are maybe more likely to get knocked up in the fall and spend a winter. They would have well, been inside I, anyway. I'm also a May birthday, pregnant. and my day is shared with something like seven or eight different comics. Oh, well, and you're from you're from a coldish place. I guess. Well, let's let's put this to the test, Chris. Where were your parents living when uh, your mom was pregnant with you? Uh, Los Angeles, California. Okay, so there goes that. <laughs> Yeah, but then again, uh, I guess you know, even yeah, summer which, and winter uh, in LA are different. Summer and winter in LA are different. So, <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be knocked up and indoors, you might as well have it in the winter, even if it's in LA. LA winter is still a little colder. Winter is still a little colder. Yeah, it's true. It holds up. Your theory holds up. This is a bad theory to have as a science podcast. Just no. Just a hundred oh, people. Oh, fucking yeah. there, should, I mean, there, there must be global demographic information on when birthdays are. If there are more birthdays around certain times. Oh, I'm looking it up. Yeah. When are most people born? <laughs> yeah. What's oh? What's the deal? CDC. Um, October tends to be the most popular birth month in the U.S. Oh, wow. August All is right. overall the most popular month for birthdays, which means uh, December conception. So even their theory about winter conception is uh, so is that is that some Christmas love? 
Yeah, I guess so. Santa brought an <laughs> Some extra. Some party mistakes. <laughs> for, you know, for the longest time, I didn't know that the song I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus was about him. He just saw his parents kissing or the person singing it just saw their parents kissing. Dad was in costume. Oh, right. <laughs> I never knew that. I'm so dumb. I was like, ooh, Santa's nasty. <laughs> I had no yeah, idea. It, it really did seem kind of weird, but like, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like at the mall. <laughs> Mom's in a tube top and Santa's beard is half off. Yeah, the song takes place in, from a food court. The kid is sitting at an Orange Julius. And they left that part out, but yeah, it takes place in a mall. I like that version of the song a lot more. Um, hey, so uh, we we normally ask our guests this question at the beginning of the show, and I I kind of know half the answer because I. So we normally ask our guests what is your what if anything is your background in science, um, and I've I've got a fair idea of some of the answer because I I've just listened to your podcast Scattered, which is by the way I highly recommend it to anyone. It's a great it's a sort of podcast mini series, six part six episodes, and then a bonus app all about. Uh, deciding where to scatter your dad's ashes and his life and you know his eventual death from alzheimer's but his life before that as a uh cuban refugee and political prisoner and it is is a great show but there's an episode where you really get into your dad's background as i don't know you say a techie i guess nowadays you almost describe as a hacker or a maker because he he's he like taking stuff apart and he's a gadget guy yeah well thanks for listening to scattered uh but yeah my dad is kind of like a MacGyver type. He's right, a right. just very mechanically inclined in Cuba. His background was that, uh, you know, he studied physics and engineering and he worked as a machinist in Cuba and a little bit in Spain when he went to Spain, but that's what he worked in when he came to the United States. And a lot of, um, you know, a lot of Cubans just moved to Miami because it's the easiest and there's a big community there. But my dad always wanted to work in aerospace, so we moved, uh, or they moved to Los Angeles, and that's where I was born. And eventually my dad ended up working for Rockwell, which was a big um, contractor for NASA. And uh, so he, you know, he, I didn't know this until recently because he was very humble and just kind of didn't talk about his job that much. But he made parts that went up in the Endeavor, uh, you know, the spacecraft, the, the space shuttle Endeavor, and he worked on a bunch of different spacecrafts in the 80s and stuff like that so my dad is very mechanically inclined and could make he could just make gadgets like when he was in um in spain he you know he fled cuba for spain and he missed baseball a lot so he made a machine that made baseballs (laughs) no (laughs) just out of necessity that's i mean there's Cubans are naturally MacGyvers because of necessity, but my dad made a crank that spun baseballs, and then he made a machine that he then he made a batting cage machine, like a pitching machine. That's so amazing. He, he was very like engine. So he by just by nature, and because he's really smart and stuff like that, an engineer. And uh, I am terrible at math and science. <laughs> I am. The, I didn't inherit any of this stuff. And, like, I could even, I could barely put together, like, a Lego. I couldn't do Legos at all, but I could do, like, a wall or a chimney. And, like, Lincoln Logs, that's, like, the height of my engineering. Like, I couldn't do any better than that. Uh, But, yeah, I I did not get that gene at all to my father's dismay. 
Well, I think as we talked about last week on the podcast, yeah, if, if you had gotten it, that would have been Lamarckism as opposed to Darwinism, which doesn't exist. Like you can't uh, get good at something in your lifetime and then expect that's going to change your genome in a way that gives it to your kids. I mean, you could have been around your dad and he showed you how to build things, but you know, he's never going to pass that on if it he, was something he, he developed. He tried and he couldn't, and it would be so frustrated, frustrating to him because the stakes are so, so high for your firstborn American kid to be successful. Right, And I right. was just like, I was held back in math every year. Oh. And so, <laughs> and, and so when it came to time for like a science fair, uh, one year, my dad would do this all the time. One year we, uh, you know, I did my, um, my science fair, like my report was on um, uh, the Exxon Valdez oil spill and how a double hold ship could have uh, avoided this whole situation. And my dad <laughs> created a double hold boat that would have. And so I went to the LA County science fair and placed like second place in my age Damn. group with this like amazing project that was written like half in broken English because my dad did it. <laughs> so he's like, okay, if you do like a little bit of a, if you just have a second hull, if the first hull breaks, <laughs> then you got the second hull. And then you, then that's the oil just stays in there. It's easy. Uh, and then why I'm is, just like Why is a Southern Californian there. kid writing like that? <laughs> I know. And so I also, all, one time I went to the podiatrist and I was like, oh, dad, I forgot I had a science fair this week. And my dad saw like there was like a, there was like models of the human foot like that my podiatrist had. Not only was I bad at math, I had bad ankles and feet, and so I, I couldn't even be an athlete like my dad would. My dad just wanted me to be a star baseball player on the moon. <laughs> like he wanted to be an astronaut <laughs> baseball player, and I couldn't do either. Uh, but um, he asked the doctor if we could borrow these models of the foot, and so my dad made a science project on the evolution of the human foot from, like, ape times to present. <laughs> and then I went to the L.A. County... It wasn't, like, the L.A. County Convention Center. Like, I went, like, back-to-back -back years, and I think my teacher was like, all right, we'll just... <laughs> <laughs> well, just let him, I guess. But this is all bullshit. <laughs> so your dad was really good at high school science. <laughs> yeah, junior high science. He was away. He was, you know, uh, he was great at it. <laughs> but, I can't uh, hear that story and not picture the podiatrist being the uh, place with the foot on crutches over on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Where that place is so funny. Uh, my favorite LA landmark. <laughs> But my dad just thinking, excuse me, doctor, uh, can I borrow these for like a week, a week and a half tops, please? <laughs> and then my dad charting something out that I had no idea. Um, he, so he made like 3D, uh, he made, he made like models of, of earlier human feet, of, of pre-human feet? <laughs> or what was the... Yeah, he used like those models that were kind of like casts of feet. And then he was like, okay, well, I guess I can just make one. I can put one together of like... Uh, a chimp and maybe a gibbon or something and right. and just i don't know where this idea came from we just happened to be at the podiatrist and he was like okay um i'll work with what i got it was it's like an episode of chopped but for science projects <laughs> and my dad was like okay i got a foot uh, i got a foot cast okay we can do this and then <laughs> put this whole thing together which was uh 
I mean, just a real brain, my uh, my dad. And uh, unfortunately, I did not receive any of the science parts <laughs> of his brain. And, did did uh, you end up teaching for a while, though? Am I making that up? Oh, no. I, uh, I, you know, ironically enough, so my dad would force science on me as a kid all the time. Like, he would take me to L.A. County Science Museum... Um, like the science, the space center, like all the time, and the natural history museum, all the time. Well, uh, for I think it was free, so he loved that. So he would take me there, and we grew up. I grew up in Inglewood, and you know the Coliseum's pretty close, maybe like half an hour or something. So we would go to the science museum, and we'd spend like a whole day there. And I'd be like, "Can I just get the?" I, there was actually a McDonald's there that had a robot that made chicken nuggets and that's the only thing i I only gave that's the only thing i gave a shit about i was like can i just get astronaut ice cream and these chicken nuggets i don't care about like the b1 bomber or whatever (laughs) space shuttles here like i could give a shit about this and uh so i hated the science museum and cut to me in college um, I, at Berkeley, where I was studying poetry, the opposite of anything useful. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and um, I take an improv class, and you know how there's like the whatever, like the showcase at the end of any class, right? Um, yeah. At the final performance, yeah, just so, a graduation like, show, whatever you call it. Yeah, and so I did that, and this woman comes up to me and she was like, "Hey, that was really great, and I think you're a really good performer." Like. Do you do you have any interest in joining Science Discovery Theater, uh, UC Berkeley's Public Science Center, like oh, cool. improv, tr- like improv troupe, and like uh, like uh, playwriting and like performance group? And she was like, "Are you done with college?" And I was like, "I wasn't done with college, but it sounded like she was offering me a job." And I was like, kind of sick of college at this point, and I was like. Uh, yeah, I'm done with college. And she's like, well, I'd love to hire you to be part of our cast. And I was like, awesome. And um, I think because the job paid like $30,000 a year in my like 20 year old brain, I was like, this is a million dollars. Yeah. Like I could buy a helicopter with this amount of money. (laughs) This is going to be awesome. Which sports team will I own? own? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, uh, I joined this group, and my first assignment was to write a play um, called uh, about um, overfishing and plankton. And I wrote a play called um, Ocean Powers, Marine Man of Mystery, uh, which, is a, which was a parody of Austin Powers. But, it, you know, but it had to do with, like, overfishing and plankton. And uh, the villain in it was Dr. Eel. Uh, and uh, it was... And I got to play Ocean Powers, and it was really kind of um, like a silly play. I also wrote h 2 Pokemon, which was a Pokemon uh, play about, like, the watershed or something in Contra Costa County in the Bay Area. And then there was, like, an improv troupe called the Brainiacs, where we did improv about the human brain, like, function and anatomy. And we'd wear these giant brain costumes and go to schools and we'd do improv for kids about like the brain stem and the cerebellum <laughs> and the limbic system. And was, was um, your dad proud of this job? My dad was so proud that he like he, first of all, he told people I was like a science teacher. <laughs> like he like totally exaggerated what I was not 
uh, like a young man dressed like as Austin Powers teaching kids about the ocean. He was like, my son is a science teacher at UC Berkeley. And he he's a professor his... of science. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's a I professor. I mean, like, really, I'm just like, like, I'm dressed in a dumb costume playing zip zaps up. <laughs> he's like, which science? All the sciences. My son is a teacher of the, you know. And so uh, he kept his he kept my business card. It said, uh, Chris Garcia, science and math educator. Uh, and he would like show it off to people. He'd be like, check this out, my son. The dumbass is now a science teacher at UC Berkeley. And so I did that job for a couple of years. Like I wore a wizard costume and I, you know, I'd go to do performances at schools and like show kids how to, like I'd show off a Van de Graaff generator or like a Tesla coil. I'd put like um, an onion in liquid nitrogen and throw it against the wall and it would break. And so I was like a Mr. Wizard type of guy. That's actually pretty awesome. I've never played with liquid nitrogen. That sounds like genuinely good fun. It was so fun. And so I had this kind of silly science job. And then when I wasn't out doing outreach at, you know, plays at schools and stuff, um, I would teach little classes to like kindergartners was my level of, <laughs> of math and science. But I did that job for a couple of years. And then eventually I was like, I should probably finish my last semester of college. And, uh, I finished college, and then uh, that was it. And then I taught some more, but I taught mostly English and stuff like that. But it came full circle from me going to museums and hating it to it made my job go, working at a museum and making science exciting for kids. And uh, it was a really fun job. Like, I actually really enjoyed it. And then working in a science museum behind the scenes and being able to go uh you know and hang out and see stuff was so it was just really fun and i you know now i love i'm not good at math and science i don't know anything about it but i appreciate it i'll go see a pink floyd laser light show and have a good time at the observatory that's a kind of uh, science <laughs> yeah right <laughs> it's, near, it's near where science happens um, <laughs> yeah that seems as good a time as any to get into a story i've got a nice little uh, one that I just found. Hang on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just found it, so I'm, I'm gonna put it in the show notes so you can, in, you can read along and enjoy it as you go. Yay! Yeah, this is something we can't do in the when we normally do the the show with, in person is send it to our guests so they can instantly read it. But um, dolphins, basically learning how to fish from their peers. They, they learn mm. from their peers to, how to chase fish into shells and then eat them. This new scientist story that I just found. Uh, they chase small fish into empty shells, lift the shells to the surface, and shake them about until the water drains out and the fish hiding inside all fall into the... This is a little bit... <laughs> well, you studied poetry there, Chris. This is a little more poetic than the average science <laughs> writing. <laughs> into the gaping jaws of death. <laughs> Gaping jaws of death. Oh my mm. gosh. And now it's been shown for the first time that the marine mammals, they really are going for the, um, the, the Chris Sims here who wrote this article. You're, you're, you're really dipping into the thesaurus here. The, the marine mammals can learn this behavior from their peers, not just from their mothers. The trick was observed among Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphins during surveys between 2007 and 2018 by Sonia Wilde 
at, uh, who was then at the University of Leeds in the UK and her colleagues. The team saw 19 dolphins from three maternal lineages do this trick known as shelling at the dolphin... That's what the dolphins call it. Yeah. That's what the dolphins call yeah. it. You guys want to go with shelling? <laughs> Should we do some shells? <laughs> yeah. Gone shelling. Yeah. <laughs> who are these peers? Is that like... I mean... Is it like Tom Hanks in Castaway? <laughs> Where are they learning this? From other fish? It's, uh, it's all peer pressure. It's, uh, Have you been shelling? Who taught who told you to shell? Well well if Tommy jumped out of a window, would you do that too? If Tommy jumped out of a window, would you do that too? <laughs> get to the window, yep, I'm in the water. Get to the window, yep, I'm in the water. Um the T uh so the dolphins, this is according to Wild, uh, Wild, Sonia Wild, who is the lead researcher of this. Dolphins normally learn foraging behavior from their mothers, but we found that shelling spreads among closely associated individuals outside the mother-calf bond. The study shows the first time that dolphins are capable of and motivated to learn from peers. She says, it also highlights the similarities of dolphins to great apes, such as chimpanzees, who also learn tool use from peers. So she says, um, oh no, Severine Methion at the Bottlenose Dolphin Research Institute in Spain says, behavioral studies show that bottlenose dolphins have distinct personalities, self-awareness, and complex social structures, with individuals cooperating and with new behaviors like shelling being passed from one dolphin to another. In a broad context, this transmission of information could be considered, quote, culture. Yeah. Uh, I'll buy that as a definition. How do we know what the self-awareness, though? How do you test self-awareness? I don't know. Uh, This ability to learn from others may help the dolphins adapt to changing environments, rapidly spreading new behaviors that allow them to forage when food becomes sparse, says Wild. The team saw shelling more frequently immediately after a heat wave, which he says could be because of an abundance of dead giant gastropods. Wild mm. continues, shelling is the is only the second known case of foraging tool use in dolphins. Yeah, dolphins in the wild also use sponges as tools, covering their beaks with them as they. <laughs> so like they also yeah. use chainsaws. <laughs> That's the <laughs> only two tools: shells, only two tools. And fMRIs. Yeah. And fMRIs. <laughs> the first drone use amongst dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Um, dolphins in the area also use sponges as tools covering their beak with them they cover their beaks with them as they dig into the seabed to probe for prey shelling Hmm. probably isn't that widespread amongst dolphins because it requires specific conditions says wild lots of large gastropod shells and water shallow enough so that the dolphins don't have to lift the shells too far to reach the surface methions i imagine that sorry there's got to be a little tech. There's got to be some technique involved too to keep this this fish from swimming out of the shell as it's being dragged to the surface. It, in my head, it's almost like, you know, when people separate egg whites from the yolk without using a special tool and just like juggle it between the I, two. I got, you, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Feels like that. The fish is the yolk. Yeah. yeah, it's like the dolphin version of that. They're like they're a stab. They're very experienced. They can also crack a shell with just one beak. <laughs> that's how good these dolphin chefs are i like that i like that how they're also so bored during this pandemic and quarantine that they're making up new <laughs> shit to do now they're like 
you know, no, no, we're not doing any shows for kids at Marine World right now. We're, we're not, you know, we're, kids aren't putting fish in their mouth. We're bored. We need something to do. How about, I don't know, shells? <laughs> like, they're just bored. It's a sourdough of the sea. It's what they call it. Yeah, sourdough of the sea. That's what all these politicians don't understand when they're trying to crack down on shelling. Is The only reason why so many of these young dolphins are out shelling is because they don't have anything else to be doing. Get some dolphin youth groups going. Get some dolphin right. <laughs> yeah, if they hadn't closed down all of these dolphin parks, <laughs> you just need like one good dolphin boxing trainer to just go in there and give these dolphins some structure and some stability in their lives and a strong father figure. <laughs> And someday we can make a movie about one of the great dolphin teachers and call it Swim and Deliver. <laughs> it was an inner city dolphin, a group of dolphins, school of yes, dolphins. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes, right. And Edward James almost plays the DJ. How does a dolphin, how does a dolphin turn drowning. a chair around and sit in it backwards? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we... We're all... I get a casting notice for Cholo Dolphins, and I'm like, guys, I'm even getting Cholo, Cholo casting calls for other types of men, yeah. for Marine. How do they even know it speaks oh, Spanish? God. It's just... Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, oh, uh, shelling probably isn't that widespread among dolphins, says Wild, because it requires specific conditions. It needs lots of large gastropod shells and water shallow enough so the dolphins don't have to lift the shells too far to reach the surface. And Methion says shelling has only been seen in this population of Indo-Pacific uh, bottlenose dolphins. However, and quote, this behavior could occur in other dolphin populations and other dolphin species, but has yet to be witnessed, she adds. So These dolphins are smart. Really are. I'll be the first one to say it. Dolphins are smart. I'm the first person to ever. <laughs> it's actually quite patronizing there, Andy. There's no reason why dolphins. Why couldn't dolphins be? Right. Oh, you're expecting them not to be smart. Jesus. Right. Did you just call a dolphin articulate? Because you're yeah. not supposed. I don't think that was a microaggression. I really do. I mean, we've talked about it many times. I really bucket list. I got to swim with some fucking dolphins. I don't know how to make this happen. Manatees or dolphins. I want to buddy up with some kind of marine mammal. Well, we, before we need I die. to, a uh, friend of the show, Forrest, Forrest Shaw, Shaw is, is our guy. Yeah. He's, he's straight up used to do that. He's a marine biologist and used to work with dolphins. Are you serious? Yeah. That's so cool. I just love a, a marine biologist talking to dolphins with that gruff-ass voice. It's like, ah, get over here. Get over here, you little fuck. It's just so funny to imagine. Oh, that's so that's... cool. I swam with dolphins oh, really? once. Uh, I think oh, really? just a couple years ago. Uh, Molly, the, then, uh, the booker at the San Francisco Punchline, my home club, loves dolphins and Sammy Obeyed, who's another uh, SF comedian, us, and who else went? Maybe Louie Katz or something? We all went swimming with dolphins once at um, SeaWorld. Is it SeaWorld? In, um, somewhere in the Bay Area. And it was so Did cool. they actually touch? Did you touch them? Yeah, we got to touch them, and we got to swim with them, and it was, uh, it was just really fun. And it was really... They were just, you could tell that they were kind of 
you know, when you get a scent, you're like, oh, this is a smart animal. This is kind like of it was wild. trying to size you up, and, also, kind uh, of, or what did you get? What kind of vibe did you get from it? Yeah, they were. I mean, they were friendly, um, and it was at a water park, which is kind of weird, you know. Um, but uh, we did it, and you know, we just kind of pet them and swam alongside them. That's awesome. And um, yeah, um, it was really cool. I gotta do it. Yeah, they they. Well, I, I can't remember whether he said it on the, our show or not, but I, because I've, I've had a fair few conversations with Forrest about the dolphins when he was working with them, but he was saying that they'd even like know the asshole in the group, like <laughs> when they were when he was running a group, and if they were getting ready to, you know, suit up and get them in the water, if there was one guy in the group who was a dick and and just being a prick to the people working there and everything, you're like, oh, that guy's just a jerk. He that that guy would almost inevitably get in the water and the dolphins would blank him and he'd have a shitty dolphin swimming experience. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> Whoa, that's awesome. What complicated animals. They're, they rape, but yeah. they also hate jerks. They're like, we're the jerks here, everybody. <laughs> they're the yeah, alpha yeah, jerk. What a weird, of the a weird combination. Um, <laughs> uh, this, when we're talking about weird combinations, how's that for a link? But um, I like it. It's fitting, befitting Jesse Case. Yeah, friend of the show Helen Simmons tweeted at us a story. Uh, I'll go to um, our buddy and go to uh, anesthetist, but tweeted a story that it's a 3D printing story. You've not had one of those for a while. They're old faithful, but a 3D printing inside the body potentially. This physicsworld.com story: tissue engineering moves closer to 3D printing inside the body. Tissue engineering is an emerging field in which cells, biomaterials, and biotechnologies are employed to replace or regenerate damaged or diseased tissues. Currently, this is achieved by generating a biomaterial scaffold outside of the body, maturation in a bioreactor, and then surgically implanting the created tissue into the patient. This surgery, however, poses the added risk of infection, increases recovery time, and may even negate the therapeutic benefits of the implant. To prevent such complications, a U.S. research team is developing a way to fabricate 3D tissue scaffolds inside a living patient, so-called intracorporeal tissue engineering. The, the researchers from the Tarasky Institute, Ohio State University, and Penn State University. Uh, by the way, the Tarasky Institute does sound like something straight out of a sci-fi. That just sounds like you've just jammed together some syllables. Yeah, it's like either Skynet or it's like an organization that's trying to thwart James Bond yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> they aim to use robotic direct write 3D printing to dispense cell-laden laden biomaterial, bionics, in, highly in a highly precise programmable manner. The printed bionics are delivered through minimally... Or bio-inks. Bio oh, sorry, bio-inks. My apologies. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I thought I thought it was. I'm so dumb. I thought it was boinks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's boinks. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm also. That? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to. Re I should probably make this the text larger. I'm trying to read this at a distance of about two to three feet, so that the computer fan, which is currently going nuts, doesn't get picked up at the microphone. Uh, uh, apologies <laughs> if there's a slight underground hum to this episode. But um, sorry. So yeah, these bio inks. My apologies are delivered through minimally invasive surgical incisions and the body itself acts as the bioreactor for maturation. So you don't need to sort of mature them in these various, like, I don't know, vats or whatever it is. Um, any, 
technique used to directly print tissues inside the body, however, must meet a specific set of requirements. The biomaterial must be 3D printable at body temperature, which is 37 degrees C, or just shy of 100 Fahrenheit. What is it, 97, 98? 98.6? Did, did we end up doing the story? The I, I remember it got sent in by a few people about two months ago where it turns out that on average human body temperature has reduced. That does sound familiar. I think the healthy range is includes 97 maybe but, even but like i think lower. i think it's just weirdly over time the average human body temperature has decreased for some reason we've gotten a whole lot cooler we, we just we're just cooler than our ancestors um just everyone saw the, pr- the command in the back of your yearbook and just took it on board i think it started with hip-hop people putting ice in their name 30 years ago oh yeah 35 years ago yeah um so uh, it has to be 37 degrees C, and all procedural steps should not harm the patient. For example, current methods use UV light to cross-link the constructed tissue, which is not <laughs> safe to use within the body, uh, even though it would... Tell that to Trump. I know, though. right? Yeah. <laughs> to meet those requirements, the team produced a specially formulated bio-ink designed for printing directly in the body. They then used the hydrogel gelatin uh, methylcryol... Cryol Gelma is the abbreviation as the biomaterial and introduced laponite and methyl cellulose as the rheological modifiers wow they're they're really cramming some tech speak into this (laughs) paragraph to enhance printability this bioink formulation what the fuck by the way this okay for the first time in this article (laughs) bioink is now hyphenated which is oh, when it should have man. been the That's entire strange. it's written as what as boink for the whole <laughs> boink right up until this point there we go I've made it bigger now now I can actually read it clearly um, so yeah this boink or bioink uh, formulation is 3D printable at physiological temperatures and can be cross-linked safely using visible light inside the body, explains the first author, Ali Asagi Adib. The researchers used the Gelmar Laponite Methylcellulose, so that's GLM formulation, with and without encapsulated fibroblasts to construct complex 3D tissue scaffolds with clinically relevant dimensions and consistent structures. (laughs) I'm going to say whoever wrote this article has just copied the press release. (laughs) It really, um, yeah, yeah. It's starting to become a little like what's the um what's the famous techno babble thing that keeps getting remade every couple decades? We've talked about this. Haven't oh, we? the thing that's just bullshit tech babble and that. Right, isn't there right. a Reddit was, group as well in the that 40s. is just people doing that? It's just there's a Reddit group of tech nonsense and everyone just writes the. Maybe so, but I, I love the ones like I think it started in the 40s. But you know, people who are staff uh, technical writers for like <laughs> GM or whatever, making these very professional sounding things that are complete bullshit, or having an actual actor perform them. There was one from the 80s. It's I think the best version of it. But <laughs> anyway, so I'm not saying this is bullshit. It's not bullshit. It's no, real. but it does. It does very much whiff of like it reads like one of my childhood put uh, science projects. Who is that? The accent. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I had to look up rheology because that was the only one that I had no idea on that I'd never seen before. R-H-E-O-L-O-G-Y, which is the study of the flow of matter, particularly in a liquid state, but also as soft solids. Oh, okay. I thought it was just rheology. specifically to do with blood, but... 
That would have been my guess, but I guess it's more general. Wouldn't that be hematology? Oh, you're right. Oh, you mean that the flow of blood? I don't know. Yeah. It Uh, would be. (laughs) Um, What do I know? You knew that, but... I don't know if it's the flow of blood, just the study of blood, yeah. So they they successfully printed the scaffolds on agarros and chicken breast pieces using... <laughs> like wait, wait, wait. Light. I'm gonna, we, I'm gonna jump over this. This is really. Wait, wait, wait. Are we, are we suddenly in an article about the robot that makes chicken nuggets? Because if so, that'd be a great full circle on this whole story. Because I really wanted to put a pin in that and come back to the chicken nugget robot later, Chris. That was. I was picturing like a very evil. I was picturing the input to the robot just being live chickens and then outcome nuggets. It's just like a very like, horrific experience. Really for you. Chicken like a. <laughs> Eyes of the robot turn red. Yeah. Like a the eyes of the robot turn red as it engages. Also, in my head, it's like in my head, it's also like that's basically what it was. It was a claw machine that would just put chicken nuggets <laughs> in the on the yeah. But to me, I was like, as like a little excitable fat kid, I was like, oh my god, it's like it's like Robbie the rope, the Nintendo robot, just giving me chicken nuggets. Like I was just so excited. <laughs> With I love Lucy, like, uh, chocolates <laughs> off the conveyor belt. Yeah, totally. You're just doing I love Lucy, like uh, chocolates off the conveyor belt, <laughs> trying to keep them like... <laughs> like not realizing that each chicken nugget actually costs your dad money. <laughs> just, like, more, just pressing the more chicken nuggets button again. Sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to totally derail the 3D printing. No, I, I think we've hit. I feel, think we've hit the major beats of this story well. Also getting way deep in tech babble that, you know, I, I think we, we we will, as always, put a link to the story in our show notes. So if anyone wants to really find out how they could do this themselves at home, it seems like all the information is included. Yeah, and as a wrap up, it says, you know, this could do for things like hernia repair meshes, that would be easier to do it less invasively because you're printing the stuff inside and uh, patches to enhance ovarian function. What else did they say it's good for? A bunch of stuff. It's a cool um, advance. They, like, fix my... <laughs> make it so I don't have to change my Brita every couple of months. Can someone do that? <laughs> Put their mind to this. <laughs> I'm like... Uh, yeah. uh, do Brita filters actually get a color to them when you... I've actually never owned one. I've just used other people's. But uh, when it comes time to change it, do you actually no, see I a bunch of gunk in it? Like, oh, that would have been in me? Kind or do you not actually see... water and then... If you put it in the fridge in the Brita, it just makes it cold. Like, I'm not sure it actually works. <laughs> it doesn't really do anything. It's just a picture that you have to change. It doesn't change do anything at all. Months. That's what I think, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay. You don't get, you don't get the satisfaction of looking at it. Thinking that, I, oh, okay. You don't, get, you don't get the satisfaction I, of looking at it. I don't it think there's that, that much. Not thinking, knowing that that was what it removed. Like, when you change the filter. No, there's nothing in there. There's nothing. Oh, just a little bit. Yeah. I guess there's some spots, Used but not, it's not satisfying. Filter. Sorry to go on this Brita tangent, but I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm like... yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This episode is not. Yeah, no, by... it's a fair point though. I'm not convinced I'm going to do anything other than just make my water colder than it was previously. It's not. It's not bad. Um, Cold water is good. Although the water in my old apartment was pretty disgusting, it it Ooh. definitely came out with it. it had a color at one point. Oh. It had like a yellowish tinge. And we'll try to claim like, no, that's that's fine. That's it's normal. probably just your eyes. Water sometimes yeah. yellow. 
people pay good money. People for that. pay good money for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Changes See, out. Out clear now. Yeah. Of the now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Matt. Have yes, you ever, Andy. Have you ever wondered how ancient humans survived pandemics? I don't know if they did. Or how sailors navigated using the night sky? Sure, I don't think they did that either. <laughs> well, I, I thought I thought the human race is wiped out in its entirety multiple times, and then just sort of happens again. And also, all sailors are constantly lost. That sounds like the kind of thinking that comes from someone who hasn't checked out The Great Courses Plus. Uh, yes, you don't need to wonder where you can get that information. It is all available on The Great Courses Plus. This is obviously a service that we have been using and talking about for a long time, and you, our listeners, I'm sure, are well aware of it. But if you haven't checked it out yet, there's no reason not to, uh, especially during this time when you may have some some free time on your hands. Um, we've, got, we've got access to thousands of lectures on... I won't say any subject you can think of, but every time we've thought of a subject on the fly and looked it up, we've pretty much found some it, lecture on it. It is remarkable how many different things they cover and the breadth and depth to which they have managed to source lectures. And I've talked about this before, but I've been a fan of the Playing Guitar Like a Pro series, which has a bunch of different lectures teaching you the styles of different guitarists like David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, uh, Django Reinhardt, Eric Clapton, um, tapping like Eddie Van Halen. That's just one of hundreds or thousands. I should figure out once and for all if it's hundreds or thousands, but I'm sure there are thousands of hours of content. Uh, it must be in the thousands of individual lectures because there's hundreds but of courses. And are there thousands cor- of series, though? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't even know, but there are, there are a very, very large number covering a surprising amount of different things. Right, and it's all presented by respected professors and experts. It's like going back to school, but you can do it from the comfort of your home or your car because you can listen to it as an audio podcast or watch it on a set-top box or on your laptop. Um, and it's high-quality it's high quality video, and a lot of these things lend themselves more to visual learning than, than you would get just from an audio lecture, which is great. You know what sucks, though, Andy? I, I wish there was some way that we could you know, let our, our listeners have some sort of you know, sample of it or experience with it. If only there... Oh, wait a second. What's this? Right now, our listeners can go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably, and they'll get a free month of access to the entire library? Andy, that's the exact kind of thing I was just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So they they just go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably? That's it. And you can get a free month of access to history, cooking, biology, business, so much more. Wow. What a treat. Yes, yes. So do that. You guys have heard about it. If you haven't actually checked it out yet, there's no reason not to. It really is, is great. And obviously, you listen to this podcast, so this is up your alley. You're a, you're a smart person who likes to fill your brain with cool yeah. shit. So, TheGreatCoursesPlus.com slash probably. Uh, we had another email or a tweet, I'm sorry, from longtime contributor Justin Broad, who actually retweeted or tagged us in a Chris Hadfield tweet. Did you see that, Matt? I don't think I did. What was the story? I'm looking for it now. Let me add that. 252 million years ago, 96% of all marine species and 70% of all land animals became extinct. Now we know why. It was lava igniting coal. Hmm. Wow, that's why you've Could always got to store your lava in your hole in different places. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so a team of researchers. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think we do have a double hold planet. Once we dig deep enough, we'll figure out there's a second Earth inside of Earth, and it's a whole lot cooler. It's a whole lot cooler. 
It's darker, but cooler. Uh, so yeah, a team of researchers led by Arizona State University's School of Earth and Space Exploration, Professor Lindy Elkins-Tanton, has provided the first ever direct evidence that extensive coal burning in Siberia is the cause of the Permo-Triassic extinction, the Earth's most severe extinction event. Uh, the results of the study have been recently published in the journal Geology. For this study, the international team led by Elkins-Tanton focused on the volcanoclastic rocks of the Siberian Traps, a region of volcanic rock in Russia. The massive eruption event that formed the traps is one of the largest known volcanic events in the last 500 million years. The eruptions continued for roughly 2 million years. That's a, that's a rough time to be yeah, around. Two million we thought years Russia was so tough to now. Just like, have okay. 2 million years not, ago. Not a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the middle of that, you're just like, no, this is how it always has been and always will be. Like, you're just, we live with the shit. So that spanned the Permian-Triassic boundary. Today, the area is covered by about 3 million square miles of basaltic rock. Uh, this is ideal ground for researchers seeking an understanding of the Permo-Triassic extinction event, which affected all life on Earth approximately 252 million years ago. During this event, up to 96% of all marine species and 70% of terrestrial vertebrate species became extinct. Calculations of seawater temperature indicate that at the peak of the extinction, the Earth underwent lethally hot global warming in which equatorial ocean temperatures exceeded 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Which, that that doesn't see... What is equatorial ocean temperature right now? I mean, that's a lot, but like, you know, I, I would have expected a lot more than... I'm guessing that's like within 20 degrees of what it is now. Yeah, um, but when they talk anyway, about just like of a, years, a, a one degree difference in the Earth's temperature... I know, averages. right, yeah. But you got two million years of nonstop eruption. I, I don't know, I just thought... No, that's got to be... But, way, um, no, the... Equatorial ocean temperatures, I would say they are no more than one because the water. Yeah, because the water always stays co- cooler. Like the water, water right, changes temperature right. so much slower than land and air. Equatorial water temps, twenty nineteen. Are you looking it up? Um. Oh, actually, okay. I don't know if this is equatorial or just uh, sea surface temperatures. Maybe it's closer to high 60s or 70 Fahrenheit. So, yeah, 34 degree difference right. is pretty significant. For, for our metric people as well, that's 40 degrees Celsius. That's that's really hot. And that's the water temperature yeah. as well. That's not... not right, so the right, air right. temperature on average would probably be... would stretch to substantially hotter than that. I'll begrudgingly admit the scientists are right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it took it took billions of years for ecosystems to be reestablished and for species to recover. Among the possible causes of this extinction event, and one of the most long hypothesized, is that massive burning coal led to catastrophic global warming, global warming, which in turn was devastating to life. To search for evidence to support this hypothesis, Elkins, Tanton, and her team began looking at the Siberian Traps region, where it was known that the magmas and lavas from volcanic events burned a combination of vegetation and coal. While samples of volcanic plastics in the region were initially difficult to find, the team eventually discovered a scientific paper describing outcrops near the Angara River. They found towering cliffs of nothing but volcanoclastics. It's a fun word. Uh, lining the river for hundreds of miles. It was geologically astounding. Over six years, the team repeatedly returned to Siberia for field work. They flew to remote towns and were dropped by helicopter either to sure float down rivers collecting rocks <laughs> or hike across the forest. Are you sure this is for science? It sounds like a pretty fun... Uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they just, ski. So we just scaled Machu Picchu. What's next? for science. <laughs> Why are you like in a... Like an inner tube going down. <laughs> do some scientific splashing. Do we going to do some scientific splashing next to us for science? Water parks in the area. 
<laughs> they investigated water parks in the area. Uh, no, they ultimately collected over a thousand pounds of samples, which were shared by, with a team of 30 scientists from eight different countries. As they analyzed the samples, the team began seeing strange fragments in the volcanic plastics that seemed like burnt wood and in some cases burnt coal. Further fieldwork turned up even more sites with charcoal, coal, and even some sticky organic rich blobs in the rocks. Elkins Tanton then collaborated with fellow researchers and and uh da, 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 about, like uh, co-author Steve Grasby. That's a great name. Yes. Let's get Steve Grasby of the Geological Survey of Canada, who had previously found microscopic remains of burnt coal on a Canadian Arctic island. Those remains dated to the end Permian and were thought to have wafted to Canada from Siberia as coal burned in Siberia. Grasby found that the Siberian traps sampled collected by Elkins Tanton had the same evidence of burnt coal. Uh, our study shows that Siberian traps magma intruded into and incorporated coal and organic material. That gives us direct evidence that the magmas also combusted large quantities of coal and organic matter during eruption. Uh, and the changes at the, at the end Permian extinction bear remarkable parallels to what's happening on Earth today, including burning hydrocarbons and coal, acid rain from sulfur, and even ozone destroying halocarbons. Seeing these similarities gives us extra impetus to take action now and also to further understand how the Earth responds to changes like these in the long term, <laughs> said, and followed up by saying, uh, smoke them if you got them. <laughs> so, I was editorializing on my part, but um, yes, obviously, clean coal must be an exception. We're fine, and we should uh, continue <laughs> to burn as much as we can. Yeah, so... Sobering, and not that uh, you know, not that I'm saying what's happening now, and not that they're it saying it feels like it. Constant volcanic activity, but uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't have like the Koch brothers back then, kind of going like, ah, it's fine. This is just the only 70% of terrestrial. Someone reading this is like, you told me only 70% of terrestrial vertebrates died. We've got to make some sacrifices for the economy, guys. Didn't you know what Sammy Hagar just told us about that? Uh, everyone's got to tighten your belt buckles. Did he say you have to tighten your belt buckles? The guy who's only die. worn shorts for the last 40 years. Because <laughs> talking about belts. Oh, what a <laughs> Gonna tighten your drawstrings. Uh, I, I saw Sammy Hagar trending. I was not sure why. Yeah, he just he just said some people are gonna have to die just for the economy. Which I mean, like to be fair, both sides are phrasing this in very disingenuous ways. Like the side that's all about like at all costs, uh, we can never make any. We can never put a price tag on a human life. Obviously, that's not true because we do it every day, as I've talked about with all of our choices. Like. 10 mile an hour speed limits would save a ton of lives. But we decided that getting somewhere is is worth having tens of thousands of deaths every year. We make these decisions all the time, so don't make it a complete <laughs> this or that. But at the same time, I don't know if Sammy Hagar needs to tell us who needs who needs to live and die. Do you think he so would that the economy he could possibly can beat Trump? <laughs> if there's anyone to run against Trump on the Republican side, I think Sammy could do it. I think Sammy could oh I think his God. base would be like, oh fuck yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Not to get into politics. <laughs> yeah. I can't drive 55 oh, wow. either. Speaking what of speed limits, yeah. Yeah, it is a fun exercise to what, think about, indeed, like, what a time. who is the most ridiculous celebrity who could almost certainly get elected president? Yeah, wasn't there a lot of talk about The Rock? That's not ridiculous. It's far from ridiculous. Like, I just... Yeah. I, I, if you saw the, you know, the sort of um, two-minute speech to camera that he gave from his living room about... Uh, 
was it i think it was just a, a sort of about the black lives matter movement i'm pretty sure that's what it was i'm trying to remember now but uh I just remember watching that a couple of weeks ago and going like, yeah, you know what? If he ran for president right now, he would probably take it comfortably. He's, Yeah. I mean, and then it's not about whether they win, but then once the, once in office, would they actually do right. anything But also, you know, we've, we've seen from Trump yeah. that they are basically, they're figureheads. <laughs> you know, is if they... Tr- well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we learned during COVID that uh, like, we actually junior. do need a That's president. <laughs> Until then, it was like, I guess it's just a figurehead, but it's like, no, we've lost tens of thousands of lives because we don't have a person who's, who's willing to make what right a president decisions. should do. Yeah. Um, if not hundreds yet. But yeah, I, I, I think he could comfortably win it. Because also, you know, Trump turned oh, politics yeah, for in, sure. Like, he, he's learned from pro wrestling. So much of the shit. Like, it's all, like, all that, that dumb stuff, the, the even dumber half-empty rally <laughs> where he then drank a cup of water and threw it to one side with one hand. That's like, so that's, true. That's oh pure, my God. That's pure pro wrestling. Like, like that's a hunt. Yeah. That's pure WWE. Like, it's just, he's playing, like, he, he's kind of playing the heel and he's white. Yeah. You know, it, and he, he's, he knows how to push those buttons and he knows how to work a crowd like that. And he would be destroyed <laughs> by someone like, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who is substantially better at playing that same game, and also is <laughs> yeah, genuinely way, uh, like fit and athletic in the way that Trump claims to be, like is genuinely strong and powerful, <laughs> and would square up to him and look more powerful. By the way, I just want to give a quick shout out to Jesse Case, who has been—I mean, not that he isn't always funny, but like in the last few months, his Twitter feed has been fucking unbelievably hilarious. Um, <laughs> he's drinking from cups oh, he's going Jesse's down so ramps funny. what can't this fucking guy do he's so funny that, yeah that that picture of Melania and Trump in the in the church and then Jesse's like this is <laughs> this is the family who shows up to adopt you at the beginning of a Tim Burton movie oh, he's so funny such a perfect tweet um Hey, uh, Chris, we should probably we should probably wrap this up. Um, but where can our listeners find you and everything you do? You've got some really great stand up online. Um, uh, thanks. I, I uh, well, I'm at where, where can uh, find Twitter. You I'm underscore Chris Garcia, um, and I have a Comedy Central half hour special. And my podcast that we talked about earlier is called Scattered, um, and is made by WNYC Studios, and it's uh, six or seven seven episodes. And that's available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we'll put a link to all of that as well. Um, as always, you can find us online, probablyscience.com, uh, on Twitter, at probablyscience, individually, at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Uh, also, check out The Great Debate. Uh, which Yes, Thursdays on, sci- on Sci-Fi. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Andy worked on it. Friend of the show, TJ Chambers, ran, ran it, was the showrunner for it. Um, so, co-host awesome. of probably science Matt Kirshen pops up on an episode at some point <laughs> yes, that's- as does some of Andy yes that's well by the time this airs that will have already happened hopefully is, is a way you can watch the second episode for free online because I think it, it's uh, I don't know if, if you're interested in seeing parts of my body you might not have seen before um, you might want to tune in that's all, that's all I'll say about it but um, my face is obscured so there's that I've got that going for me but we know what it we know who it is and we know what he did it's pretty it's pretty
pretty clear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so do all that. Please do check that out. Uh, and yeah, I think I think you'd enjoy it anyway. Aside from the fact that we want it to be watched by as many people as possible, so our friends get to keep making more of them. Uh, I think it's a really fun show. It's a really great show. And also, do listen to Scattered. It's a very, very good show. Yes, definitely. Um, but Chris, thanks so much for joining us. And listeners, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, you guys. And so fun to talk to you. we'll see you all next time. Yeah.